Welcome to Catalogs and Noise. My name is Joe. I'm here with... I'm Paul. Josh. Paul's back, ladies and gentlemen. I never left. I was always on the Jarvis no. uh, stuff. Yeah, it's no, I know. A while, you know? Um, but uh, I'm, I'm glad you've, uh, you've returned. It's good to be back. In your glory. Good to see you guys again. I, I missed you. What have you been doing for the last year and a half? We've been all right. Um, so this is the first time we are returning to a uh, subject. Returning to a catalog. Very excited. Uh, so... This is one of two where we are going to go back and look at the latest Jim Jarmusch films. This is also a bridge episode, or bridges to the last uh, Catalogs of Noise that Paul was not in on where we talked about the Stooges. So a lot of what we, uh, Josh and I, um, were, were willfully ignorant, right? We didn't watch Gimme Danger until after to not be kind of Clouded. That actually makes one, sense. Yeah. yeah, you should take the records as, as themselves, you know? Yeah, and I will say, we did pretty well. If we're just talking about kind of the logistics of history and how everything works out, like, I'm always nervous I say something stupid, which I do constantly, I'm sure. But uh, every stupid thing was pretty accurate, I thought. I didn't think there was any kind of glaring um, errors. Even, like, like um, last time we talked about uh, Kill City and how Kill City... Uh, Kind of why wasn't it picked up, and we kind of speculated about that. Everything seemed to be pretty much on target. I was uh, kind of impressed. Yeah, I think Tom yeah. and I were kind of understating Iggy's uh, musical, um, like the direction that he gave on those first couple records. But uh, oh, that, might be, that, of, might, that might be the one thing that I you yeah. know, was I thought gave a little more context. Like it seemed like he was pretty pretty hands like to the point of even teaching you know Scott how to play drums. Mm-hmm. You know, that, yeah, I, I didn't realize that he had been such a prominent Iggy had been such a prominent drummer himself in his youth. You know, playing with some uh, you know famous musicians. Yeah, that was. Pretty I had no idea. Yeah, me neither. That was that was interesting. I think I'm loud. All right, that's all right. The um, okay, so the first thing I think we have to uh, deal with is Jim Jarmusch as documentary filmmaker. Obviously, you can't talk about this movie without bringing up Year of the Horse, which. I think at the time, now, what was that, two and a half years ago we talked about that, uh, I thought was by far the worst Jim Jarmusch movie. It was the only other thing that I think I actively disliked. Um, I, I compared it to the weirdness when we talked about it as I, I just thought it was like mindless and silly. Is this any better? I, I'll take a stab. Yeah, yeah you maybe. Because yeah. it's, it's like a more... Yeah, if anything, it fails on just being a little, like too traditional. That was my knock. Straightforward yeah, music. That was my knock on uh, Year of the Horse. Is that I kind of wished it were. <laughs> I want to have my cake and eat it too. I thought the Year of the Horse was a little too goofy, and I would have liked a little bit more. On I thought the Year of the Horse was best when it was just capturing those moments in the seventies. You know, with the band right. kind of goofing around, and then the performance, which wasn't even Jim Jarmusch's footage, right? You know, it was just like, footage that he used, right? Right. Um, this, though, I thought was better because it gave me a better sense of like what the Stooges were, why they're important, and whatnot. I thought the interviews were better, um, but uh, at the same time, it was kind of dull, like a you know, kind of a more Pretty traditional. But I have to say about both of those, I think if you're not a Neil Young fan or a Stooges fan, there's no reason to watch these. Yeah, I, I, I don't like think it brings you into. Anything oh, see, I have, I have the complete opposite point of view on that. I think I'm a little bit harder on it because I am a Stooges fan. You know what I mean? So if I'm coming to this and I'm like, I don't know anything about this, I think I'm going to be fascinated mm. in a way that I'm just kind of taking it for granted. Ho-hum, I know all this already. 
you know? So I, I think it actually, like, fandom is, is a checkmark against liking it. Well, give evidence. What, what, were, what are some reasons why? Well, why, in general? Yeah. So, I, by the way, I like this. Mm-hmm. I think it's fine, but I don't know why it's, why it's any better than, like, a, a pretty good, like, behind the music. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's, that's what I'm saying. What is, like, yeah. I think we're both saying it's kind of like a VHS, a VHS, what am I saying? A VH1, a VH1, uh, VH1 yeah. you know, music documentary. Yeah, with some quirky stuff, like the animation and, and yeah. whatnot. Well, the, yeah, the, but even that goes with, like, every documentary, since yeah. Michael Moore has to have that kind of animation. You don't have like to that. do it. It's a choice, and it's a <laughs> shitty choice. But all I'm saying is, because I'm a fan, I think I, I I'm looking for something deeper, mm-hmm. and nothing gonna really surprise me all that much although I think there's a couple things but that's gonna make you know 80% of this drag and feel kind of boring to me you know Mm -hmm. that's all I'm really saying Um, but you know if I was a more casual fan I think it would be better right because you'd just be learning something new you know but in terms of why I think this is better than year of the horse I do have a, a couple things number one it's because I like the Stooges better right so the subject matter is more interesting to me, which I know is kind of opposite of what I was just saying. I was going to say that, but no, <laughs> but um, back to see you talking way out of that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I approach it with a little more excitement. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I learned probably more about Neil Young in Year of the Horse than I did about the Stooges in this, but I think I, I, I cared less about Neil Young in the first place. Like, you're a big Neil Young fan, so, so you probably have a... A different experience. I think also the subjects were a little more forthcoming in this. You know, yes, Neil Young and many. I mean, the members of Crazy Horse sometimes just seemed almost you know incapable of finishing sentences and just didn't seem like they were as into it. And, you know, it's kind of and, funny. Both bands are kind of known for being like, I mean, the Stooges and Crazy Horse. They're always these inarticulate. Yeah. Stumbling around, not knowing what they're doing, kind of. Uh, but Iggy's not like that. Iggy's no, I- Iggy not was, like that at no. all. Whereas Neil, uh, you know, Neil himself, it wasn't that he was inarticulate. It's just he, you know, he's such a cipher. Right, he holds, like, he holds himself way right. back. Iggy opened up, in so it. that, that I think that's why it was as far as an engaging experience. This is a much more. Well, really, Jim you know, opened up because he could kind of distance himself from Iggy. I yeah. feel like yeah, that, no, that, that, was, that, that was pretty clear from the beginning. Right out yeah, of the yeah, so. he's talking about you know Jim Osterberg yeah. rather than Iggy. So I, I, I put Josh's point a little differently. I said I thought both Jarmish and the band were less posturing in this than they were in the Crazy Horse doc, right? And what I mean by that is, I don't know, it seems less stagey, right, from the Jarmish point of view, right? There's less kind of uh, those, those weird interstitial kind of moments. Yeah, he, I think he was trying something there. Right? And, uh, they put them in, like, their houses rather than in... The weird laundry room kind yeah. of thing. Although I, there was uh, James Williamson James was Williamson in like in a bathroom. Bathroom. <laughs> bathroom, yeah, which is uh, yeah. Are, but that uh, almost seemed like he was in like a dressing room, like getting exactly. ready to go out on stage. Like even that, I was willing to give him more of a pass. Right, or maybe that's his bathroom heavies, you know. And they're trying to get us some good acoustics. Good acoustics, right? Yeah. I mean, there's no like, there's nothing kind of like. Going out of its way to be. It wasn't like, forced. Well, Iggy did have some skulls around him in a few of the scenes, but I, I kind a, of imagine that that's his house. Kind of <laughs> his life. The throne and. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I thought that, and, and I agree with you, right? The band seems more natural, happier to be there. They feel like, I feel like they want to tell their stories. Yeah, well, like, yeah they're getting you know? attention now. So, strangely, um, 
maybe not strangely. They, you said it well. I think you said that they didn't. There was less posturing. Yeah. They didn't seem like. It seems like this would be almost like a victory lap for the Stooges. Like we are finally right. taking our our crown as the Godfathers of punk. You know, it didn't seem like any members of the Stooges were making that case. The documentary, I thought, does that 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 segue or, or that montage of the various bands like the Dead Boys, the Damned, yeah. the Sex Pistols, all playing Stooges songs. That was a really effective way of showing, like, okay, maybe the sound. Like we'd argue, the sound doesn't necessarily sound like proto punk, but that band was so special right. to those bands that became punk that that was like the the factor that coalesced at that moment. They were all into a band that they all had in common. Well, I like the moment when when Iggy said, look, I'm not a punk, I'm yeah. not a this, I'm not a that. Yeah. I felt really good about that because that was bolstering my argument that I've been making this whole time. That but he never wanted to identify with anything. Like That's why right. like the MC5 were a totally separate thing because they became so political. Yeah. Uh, and he avoided all that, yeah. you know? Yeah. But, I mean, through the podcast, we've been making the point that all that punk stuff is played up too much. And I don't care that it is. It's, but it seems too easy. And what it actually does is it takes away what is valuable, I think, at core of the Stooges. And it's some of that early psychedelia. It's some of that just kind of um, that weird jammy stuff. Like, that gets lost when of you course. say, when you just put the punk label yeah. on it, you know? Funhouse, like, something like the song Funhouse does not sound like punk. I mean, that's... It's got elements of like right. free jazz and, like you said, psychedelia. I mean, you lose all of that. It becomes yeah. too simplistic. I think it's more important, though, just to recognize their legacy as a, a focal point of bands that liked them and that drew them together. You know what yeah. I mean? They recognize it. Like the Ramones. Oh, yeah. oh, like, oh, how did the Ramones meet over a mutual love of the Stooges? Right. So, I that, but I don't oh. feel like there's any quantum leap or any flashpoint where this is suddenly punk. It's really a continuum, and they're mm-hmm. part of that with other bands at the time that are not known now, but... Musically, know, they, not right. culturally. Culturally, there is a flashpoint, right? I mean... You're cult- talking about 77, or...? I'm talking about, yeah, I'm talking it happened differently in London, in L.A., and New York, but the scene defines punk as much as, if not more, than the music do, I think. You have to be of that place and of that time, and the Stooges weren't. So for me automatically they're disqualified. And sonically is a different a different animal. I, and I think you're right. And sonically. that's what I care about, honestly. I, you know, yeah. the whole scene and the label thing, I'm going to be like, Iggy, man, I don't need any of that. Yeah, look, let me tell you, man, cultural identity is, is very important to music. You, it might be secondary to the music, but I'm not going to be like, it's all about the music and nothing else. I, I think that's, that's your own posturing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> all right, one more thing about why this stock is better than You're the Horse is better footage. Mm-hmm. Right, Years of the Horse had yeah. all of that that live concert, contemporary concert stuff, and I would have loved to seen way more Neil Young, Crazy Horse through the years. And this is just loaded with great shit from the early seventies. Yeah. I love that. that I think footage. Neil Young held back stuff though. I, I, he has everything filmed. It could be everything is recorded it's and. Cool. Jarmus just focused on that one show and that basically one seventy show. I think. Yeah, it seemed was like really it wasn't the premise like of Year of the Horse. It was the Year of the Horse. Like it was he's following a tour. Yeah. it seemed. Whereas yeah. this is much more retrospective. Yeah. yeah, the footage in this was great. I mean, it was it was awesome to see those live shows, the early live shows. Yeah, so I, I think all of those were were you know great points here. However, I still think this is the second weakest Jim Jarmusch film. 
like easily. I know you'll shoot this down. It's the same argument I think both Paul and I were making with Year of the Horse. It's just it's a, such a different beast. Like I just right. I, I, I you know what I mean. Like I just put it in a different class. It's not one of his you know fictional yeah, right. works. You kind of take it outside of his other stuff because it's not that. It's not. Yeah, I know, I know, but and he's I, a fan, and, you know. He and he wants to. And look, I, I think, and I think he does a great thing here. Actually, putting together a whole <laughs> Stooges thing that that could serve as a great introduction and a summation of what they did, you know. So I think you're assuming a couple things. First off, does a narrative film um, ever, you know, uh, I'm sorry, does a documentary ever surpass a narrative film in terms of greatness? Yes, but it's rarely the case, I think, right? I can think of some of the great docs ever being as good, as compelling, as important as, you know, some of the best narratives, right? And I don't need this to be the best Jim Jarmusch, you know, film at all. I think I can kind of say, well, relative to what a doc does, this is middling Mm. to weak, um, relative to what a narrative film does, a, a film like Down by Law is great. You know what I mean? So even relative to their categories, I still think these are weak films. In other words, yeah. I'm going to handicap it because it's a doc and still say it's pretty weak. As a documentary. You know what yeah, I mean? I think you need right. to recognize it. That, that's not, maybe not his wheelhouse. You know, but Right. So why keep doing it? Because he's doing it as a fan. I think no, Paul made a good point, right? Like. Better, better that a Jarmusch does this than some hack who has like no, you know, sympathy or understanding for the Stooges, right? Who, who's gonna Maybe. like, who's gonna like, you know, put together a, you know, a bunch of talking head interviews with guys. That's the other like, thing. I, I'm so happy and, that it was just the Stooges. Yeah. And Mike yeah. Watt, who, work, who yeah. works his way into every music doc. Yeah. He, I don't. <laughs> but it's great. Right? He played bass with them. I know so, he did yeah. a bit yeah. later, but. Um, how, no. come, how come Keith Morris was not in this? He doesn't he yeah. every like <laughs> <laughs> every pumping there is. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think this was there was a lot of tasteful choices here, right? Things that I found, you know, were not tasteful in the Crazy Horse film were tasteful here. And that was one of them, right? Paring down the interview subjects, creating a real intimacy, I thought, you know, I, I think that was that was all there. And that's why I'm saying it's pretty good, middling, and not really Poor, which I thought Year of the Horse was in terms of documentary filmmaking. But even if I could say this was a, a fairly good documentary, then it might be a little better than, you know, I don't know, uh, Night on Earth or something like that. You know, I just don't see it that way. Um, I'm glad it exists, I guess, mm-hmm. where I don't think I'm glad Year of the Horse exists. <laughs> I, I just like, I actually think that's like a check against right. Jarmish. It's something I have to go like, yeah, I know he's brilliant in a lot of ways, but he did make Year of the Horse. That's kind of terrible. I don't feel like that about this. Let's playing your game. So none of us liked uh, <laughs> you don't the Limits of game. Control, right? Oh, no, I like Limits of Control. You like Limits of Control? I liked it well more, uh, far more than everybody else did. Okay. So I don't know, like looking back on it, like I like the Stooges a lot. So <laughs> if you're playing that game, I think I'd rather watch this again than watch Limits of Control again because at nah. least I'm at least I'm hearing the Stooges right. and I'm You're seeing footage that I like yeah. it's yeah and the you know footage, what I mean, I mean that's, just, work, that's just playing yeah. that's just you know no, keeping them in the same lot you know it's a more enjoyable experience I, I understand that I think Limits of Control has mysterious elements I think you can see something new each time there's great performances in it like I don't think it, it was near his best I mean that's probably you know low on the totem pole but I think there's stuff to uncover there that 
there's nothing to nothing new is going to be gained by watching Gimme Danger again. I'll never watch Gimme Danger again. I don't know. You know, maybe I would watch it to grab some of see some of the footage again. But I would probably just go to YouTube now and watch it. Sure, it's all out there. You know, it's interesting too. This limited. It's only very few songs that were actually used several times throughout. I thought they hit most of the major songs. I don't know. You might be right. I didn't really pay attention to that all that much. Yeah, I didn't notice that. I thought I thought it was. I thought that there was actually a lot left off from uh, Raw Power. You didn't hear a lot of Raw Power stuff. Yeah. You did hear a lot of Funhouse in the first record. Just in snippets. So that brings me actually to the title, right? The title track. And I thought um, I thought the title of this is great. Uh, and I was trying to figure out, like, why. Like, you know, you can take any Stooges song, and there's a lot of, you know, provocative titles all have, and all yeah, this. Very short. Give Me Danger is perfect for this. And the song was perfect, too, for that kind of introductory, you know, bit. Um that was played over the uh, over the credit sequence, I think. The structure's a little weird. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, and I was trying to figure out why. I thought it was because of like the thematic tension that's set up in the idea of "Give Me Danger" and all that. And I think that I mean we talked about that when we talked about the album, but it's so perfectly matched in the music and all. And I don't know the visuals under everything was like of a piece. And I was like uh, watching it. It struck me like this is a great title. This totally works. You know, because that th- that thread was carried by drummers throughout this idea that there is always this kind of like, you know, danger under the surface when it comes to Iggy and the Stooges that, you know, can't be denied. And and I thought that was done pretty well. But the overall. song itself, too, has has this moodiness. It's one of the rare acoustic mm-hmm. yeah. things that builds up. But yeah. uh, it just has such an ominous feel to it, but the, but the title is, is really what it's about, too. There's that unpredictability and, and danger, and you don't know what's going to happen, so yeah. I, th- I think that's that's yeah. that's my thought on why he chose that. And I like how they began, then, with the end of the first incarnation, right? Because you okay. really see the danger of, like, what can happen oh, this to, is what it to yeah. at, the, you know. at the limits of their uh, control. 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 <laughs> control. So, so you think that's it? Because that, like my my next thing I wanted to talk about was the structure, and I think I know why Jarmusch is doing it, but I don't know that I'm sold on it aesthetically, right? So basically, what you're talking about is there's a little bit of a frame thing, which we'll get to next, but then we get the end of 1973. You get basically uh, Metallic KO, right? You know that that last live show. You get the demise, right? And now let's go back. So seven minutes, mm-hmm. then we get the credits, then we go back to, what, 1962 or whatever, you know, the how we do it for them, yeah. So you're arguing that that's thematically setting up that kind of tension that underlies the whole thing. Yeah, it's like you've see, you see the flame out first, and then you build to it again, and then basically glance over it into the future, right? And I thought mm-hmm. that one, one merciful thing he does, he does not dwell on, you know, there's no weirdness tracks, there's no... No, that's uh, great. Th- th- thank goodness. That's great. And we, I, uh, I'm, I'm assuming this We did is, not this, like the weirdness. This is made after Ready to Die, too, right? Because by that point, uh, by the time the film is in the can, yes. both Ashtons are dead. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, sax player's dead, right? They have the, the validation yeah, at yeah, the right. very yes. end. I think he had just, just, very, just died. Very yeah. died. So I thought that was cool because I think it's kind of a recognition that, like, this is, this is going to be a focus on, like, the band that was great 
and didn't have to make a comeback and just kind of lived, went through their full life. Didn't focus yeah. on the Iggy solo stuff at all. And even Iggy, like, I mean, he, he seemed like he was re- like really focused on talking about the studio. It was the studio, right? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, I, that I was, was actually cool. first surprised that there was no, you know, this huge gap. But then right. it's, it's a Stooges documentary, you yeah. know? No, and that's all tasteful. And, and oh, I was just going to say, I think, like, just a short thing showing the end of their, their first iteration or incarnation... It's kind of like you're saying, all right, this is the known history of the Stooges. This is what everybody knows about them. They kind of flamed out and they were junkies and, you know, totally fucked up by early 70s. And then you kind of, or that's what's known. Then you go back to the, you know, stuff we didn't know. Iggy playing on a 16-foot riser. Yeah, yeah. You know. And, uh, yeah, it's cool. I, I love yeah, that. There, there, there are a couple of great moments. That was one of them for me. All right, so I think this is way better than, I think, the alternative version, which is, you know, footage of their 2003 comeback tour, and now let's go back and hear the whole story, something yeah. like that. This is way better, but I'm still. I think what I'm a little makes me a little suspicious, and and this is probably the best way to do it, is it seems like a little bit of a behind the music tactic. You know, a little bit of a. It absolutely a, is. You're storyboarding. You're, what if we switch this here? And you know. Right. But I like Paul's take okay. because when people think of the Stooges, like people that know about music and know about the Stooges, like one of the first things they think of is that that decadence that just led to absolute self destruction, the demise. So why not just why not just show it? Like why not just get yeah. that out of the way? And I like what you said, Paul. You think you know the Stooges. But do you really like, and then take it back? Like, look, these guys were like super competent and worked really hard and were very professional, you know, for a time. And then ultimately that just the demons, the danger kind of took over. I know that's a very trite narrative arc, but it's still compelling. There's a reason why it's told over and over again. Yeah. I think you're selling me on a little, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess the first time around, I just thought it might be a little bit lazy and cliche. But I can see a purpose behind it. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, so a couple other things, because there's a couple other framing mechanisms here. We start actually with Jarmish, right? His voice, we get a flash of him. It's like a millisecond. Yeah, he's in the frame for a second right? or two, yeah. Setting it off, and we never hear anything about it again, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I, so what, what does that add? What aesthetic value does that add? I think there's the voice. What does he say? The greatest rock band of all time, yeah. or something like that. I mean, that's that's him, like giving his own shout out, like basically the the artist explaining his work in a simple shout out. This is why I made this documentary. Exactly, like, best fucking rock band ever. All right, on with the show. And then you get let it go. I don't. Yeah. I honestly don't even remember him being in the frame. But yeah, it's just for just a couple like, seconds. It's, it's he's basically setting it up. They're doing yeah. kind of a sound check or something, and he says his introduction, and also lends a casualness to it too. It's not like a formal, you know. Mm. It's a big setup. He, he's just sitting in his living room. And, and yeah. I, I, all right. Again, I don't hate this, but I'm suspicious. I thought it, like, I thought it was trying to make a nod to kind of artifice, you know, to which is something he's played with in some of his films, particularly a film like Limits of Control, mm. I think, right? Um, y- you know, the idea of of... You know, what is real, what isn't, who are these rock stars, you know, kind of playing what Paul was saying before about, like, do you really know the Stooges? So I, if we can kind of demonstrate the artifice, maybe it it creates a more kind of open environment. I thought he was trying to get at that, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it works to do that. I think I'm working way too hard to try and make sense of it. I feel like it's it's not as, as complex. Yeah. I really do. 
it has kind of a shambling feel, like not in a bad way, just kind of very casual. I, I it didn't. I mean, like I said, I didn't even remember it, so it obviously didn't rub me the wrong way. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, there's a no, there's one more framing mechanism. The woman with the gong. Yes, mm-hmm. the woman with the gong. We see her at least three times, yeah. I think. Right. Um, <laughs> the first time we see her, it's. It's almost like a thought bubble that kind of rises around, and we see the gong, which is cool. I like the woman with the gong, and it's the very last image we see, and we see it one more time, I think, during that, like, raw power kind of uh, footage montage. Um, and I, don't, I, don't, I thought Jarvis just probably, like, thought it was cool and liked it a lot, you know? It was like, <laughs> let's, keep, let's keep hammering the, the girl with the gong home. But, um, <laughs> I, thought it was I have fun. no idea what to make of that. Yeah, I don't either. I just, uh, it was something to uh, to note. All right, one more thing. Well, I got a lot more things, but uh, one more thing about just kind of technique. Um, I think Jarmish is very good at times trying to capture a kind of historical context using B-roll footage and things. Um, like, I think... Um, for instance, early on when we're looking at um, Iggy's influences and we see a little Howdy Doody, we see Soupy Sales and I Love Lucy, I think that's great naturalistic, but I don't think it always works. I think there's a lot of stuff that seems corny and trite, like footage, we're not even to the animation yet, but footage of like, what was it like in high school? And now I'm going to see yeah. a bunch of like stock footage from 60s high school. Um you know, talking about the Ashtons and, you know, showing the the footage of the biker gang and the, the soda fountain, you know. I, I, there was that's what makes all, this your average documentary, though. That's, well, that's all what that I'm stuff. saying. Yeah. That's the stuff that makes it corny and makes it seem average. And I don't think of Jarmish in any iteration, no matter what he's doing, as average. That's, okay, that's so, my but, problem. Now, this is... This was not theatrically released. This was like just an Amazon thing. You know, I don't know. Because that's what it said. I'm it not said sure. A, you know, an Amazon... Amazon. I forget what they call it. Amazon It's basically like a Netflix kind of in-house thing that was produced by Amazon. So I don't But know. I think Amazon stuff gets wide release. Yeah. I think it's, it's that, rare, that, but it That does. Casey Affleck movie, um, right. Manchester by the Sea or whatever. Have you not seen oh, that? that? Yeah, I've seen it. Was that an Amazon? Yeah. That, that's an Amazon Okay, I didn't realize. I think it is. I think they've done major films. But I, I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, I remember this coming out only because I think because that could be said, factor hey, in how much Darby's budget he had and how much time. Yeah. You know, yeah. like we said with the crazy horse thing. He, what did he do in four days? Probably toss that off. Are you, but that's not a compelling <laughs> argument. Like he didn't have enough time to make it. He's Jim Jarmusch. He has all the time in the world to make it. You know, that, that's not compelling to me. I, again, I just think these or are money the, too. Money. So your criticism is that it's just kind of lazy ideas that are like yeah. you know, canned ideas. That others have done, and perhaps the knock is that he should know better. I don't know. I mean, so what else do you show? I mean, you're trying to capture, you know, perhaps for uh, the common, you know, denominator, you know, who's perhaps not it is due lazy, shorthand kind of way to approach. You know, it's, it's just a quick, and sometimes it's sometimes it was corny, but sometimes it's clearly he's meaning it to be tongue in cheek and kind of funny. You know, and, and I, I'm going to go back to this, but I, I guess I expect a lot more from one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. In but my where, what to do? What though? What exactly would be the the alternative? I mean, I mean, there's lots of alternatives. You yeah. just don't do it. But what would it be? Like, if you want to capture... Be like, formally daring. What are right. some of the best so for, docs of all time, right? Thin Blue Line. 
That's a, I was going to go to Errol Morris. So that's like extremely minimalistic. Like you're not going to well, do no, no, it. No, no, no. Forget stuff. it. I'm not saying do it just yeah. like the Brulein. I'm saying, but how many formalistic chances has Errol Morris made right. in his 40 years career? Right. Every couple of years, he tries something radically different. The, the The way he wants to tell the story becomes part of the story. Right. Thin Blue Line. That story needed the um, the reenactments. Mm-hmm. Right. To tell it. Right. But um, Gates of Heaven, you know, he uncomfortably put the camera in front of somebody for far too long. Or Fog of War, right, which which um, uses that technology. Same thing. Well, also, yeah. yeah, but but um, with far different subjects. No, and, sure. Right, you know, I guess my my point is that you know, so you want to you want to capture that ethos of the 1950s. You know, the easiest, quickest way to do it is perhaps with this, what you call B-roll stock footage, right? And it feels easy. And it feels easy. You can say easy the, or lazy, you know? Yeah, right? it's yeah. right. Or but, non-creative. But, but at the same time, it's it it's less distracting from your subject matter. I'm just trying to make a case. That's true, too. I felt the same way. It, the, the movie as a whole felt kind of too easy yes. and lazy. But I don't know that those were the aspects that really... I mean, maybe. Maybe those were the aspects that contributed to that. But I'm just trying to think, what would be the alternative? Because... Animation. Show, yeah, but the, so that's, that was distracting. That was it a was little too goofy, terrible. right? Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm not giving an... I, I, don't, I think I give that a pass. I know that has a feel of... It didn't bother other, me. It yeah. just... Like, it establishes something quickly and easily. That's yeah. all. It just Honestly, I'd, ra- I'd rather the camera on them talking more. I, I, you know, maybe they didn't have compelling. much more to say. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess what the Errol Morris trick would be just keep that camera on and <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> I mean, what, what we were getting was a flash of Iggy speaking a little. Then while his voice goes over images of this B-roll footage from the... Mm. Right, leave the camera on him. I think that's a better choice, you know? That might not be as formally daring, but at least it's authentic, you know? Some of it did work, though. I, I think when the when the footage was authentic and really like Soupy Sales, like he's talking about, show me that mm-hmm. when he's talking about the riser, you know, mm-hmm. good, give me a clip of that. That makes sense. It, it didn't have to be as reaching as it was in these, mm-hmm. you know, whatever thirty, forty percent of it that I thought was didn't work. You know, it, it became a little tired after seeing the same kind of technique and, and tropes used again and again. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. Um, so the animation though was the pits, right? I mean, uh, like I didn't hate it as much as I didn't hate it as much as you, but it it did seem like it just was a little like goofy. Yes, it's like we need to do something here. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't like that kind of stuff. I mean, that was that was something that was commissioned. You know, had to take some thought. That wasn't made in four days. You know what I mean? (laughs) I don't. Your excuses I I can't. I can't excuse that. So, I don't know. <laughs> like the Let's scene try. of uh, Scott driving the van through an uh, overpass and yeah. knocking half the van off. <laughs> How are you going to recreate that? <laughs> yeah, I, these are compelling characters, right? These have, they have some of the greatest rock and roll stories of all time. Leave the camera on. Let, let them me, tell their story. Let, me, let them tell their story. Of it. That's what I'm saying. Um, all right, I got one more quibble. <laughs> this, this is shitty of me, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Text on the screen... I thought was spotty as well. So, why, first off, why do we need these kind of, I think it happens three or four times, the historical in 1973, blah, 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 you know? Why do we need that and a voiceover, right? I don't, I don't know. 
I didn't take notes, but how, how frequently is text on the screen? I know right, right in the beginning, it was only a couple it puts times. up a paragraph about, you know, reviled by critics, which which I questioned a lot of that summation right there that he was saying, you know, as inept and bumbling. Yeah. They, they got good reviews from... I know. Uh, you know, from Cream, Dave Marsh, Lester Bangs, probably so Paul Williams and Cardassi. I thought his name, uh, was it Chris Gow? I don't know. Robert Chris Gow, yeah. He said something like, it's, you know, it's dumb music, but like in the best possible way. Yeah. I, I don't feel like that was really an accurate paragraph in the beginning, the way he introduced it. Is it like, seems very you know, oversimplified. And if this is, like you said earlier, about like, let's uncover what's really going on, then don't like... You boil it down to its most simplistic cliches in terms of right. the rock and roll history of it, right? I feel like that's something I would read in a cheesy bio on a website. Right, because about you're not going to go any more than superficial anyway on something like that. Right. You know? And putting it on text on the screen, I think, has some kind of um, authoritative difference to me. It seems like like that is the stuff you have to be most responsible And that also with. seems even more lazy yes. than... Because I, I, that's where I, I would take a little issue although I have to say I didn't oh. come to the table ready to take I issue I thought I was going to get creamed on this no no I think, I think, oh. might, but I, I think right. the only, that, the that only pushback that you might get is that <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's pervasive I don't think it's all over the dock but it's it's not necessary. Let, let them tell the story. Like let yeah, the story exactly. be told naturally. So. The one the one that really annoyed me was the brief history of Ann Arbor in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Like that really interesting. And Iggy was doing a, a good job kind of talking about it. Then I put this up here and I'm like, oh, like well that it's almost running counter. Like the complexity is running counter to the simplicity you're putting up here. I don't. I didn't need it. I don't want it. Show me a couple stills mm-hmm. of of. That good footage from Ann Arbor in the day, that would do the job better, I think. You know? No, you're right, absolutely. A couple things like that. One more font issue. I kind of hate <laughs> yeah, the, it. Yeah, like the, 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 the raw goofy. Power font. Was that, is that raw power font? I, mean, I think it's like uh, like Thrasher Magazine. I just call it like Monster Movie font. It's just basically. But no, that's yeah. what Raw Power's written on, yeah. on the album. Is it? Yeah, I yeah. Guess, yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense, of course. And it was I just distracting and silly, I yeah. thought. I don't, again, that's, that's a real quibble, but. All of these add up to a kind of cheesiness that I want Jarmish to be better of. I, I found myself in a, a couple of times like arguing for Jarmish because other people said he's a little cheesy in all of this. This and and um, Year of the Horse make it hard to defend. You know some of those other moves in his narratives. You know that I want to defend, like some of the the sillier things in Only Lovers Left Alive, perhaps. You know, or Limits of Control, or uh, Ghost Dog. These choices, you know, make me perhaps want to go back and rethink some of those moves, you know? He carries all that through everything, <sighs> right? I don't know. I don't know. Um, man, I didn't He's really... a little heavy-handed on stuff, I think, across the... Like, yeah, maybe, you know? I don't know. I, I feel like I'm bashing Jarmish here, but... You don't have to love everything he does to like I know. what he does. I know. Maybe I'm getting uh, crankier, too. Well, you are significantly older than the last time we talked about... That's what I'm saying, man. That's what I'm saying. Um, (laughs) uh, All right. So I thought when when he's doing it right, though, all the, the subjects he interviews are great, right? I mean, even... Like Danny Fields and um, the Ashton sister and all that. Like, I feel like there was so much more I, we could hear from them. I, I do think it's good to you know keep the group small, mm-hmm. but um, but even I, I feel like there there was room for even more. There there were more stories to tell in there. 
Yeah, yeah, you're just under two hours though, and, I know. and yeah. I'm thinking maybe that's why he goes for the other visual stuff because you got the same subjects, you know, throughout a two-hour mm-hmm. thing rather than a thirty-minute behind the music VH1 special, you know. Yeah. To Joe's point, I, I'm glad that it was a limited group of interviewees and not like I, I mean, just I kept half expecting, you know, like Thurston Moore to be mugging right. away. I'm so glad of that because or, I hate when these people tell the. These stories that you know that are stories now. It's yeah. not even like a real thing that happened. It's yeah. just somebody telling a story about you know. It's waiting for a thirty-minute you know spiel by Rollins. You know that was more about him than <laughs> and his tattoo than you know the band. <laughs> and so I, I like that. It, it, you know what? Right. It, like in a strange sort of way, this it seemed like a, a very you know a small documentary in the sense you know what yeah, I mean. I like it, it was intimate. Like, it kept the focus tight. Yeah, it was. I, it, it was I mean that in a good way. Yeah. Like I, I did like that very much. All right, I got two two things that were just a, a little disappointing for me, and the rest is all good stuff. Look at you with your your old school phone. All right, I I wanted more about Fun House, yeah. the house, yeah. right? I feel like they, that was they, yada just, yada. Yeah, they they, they it, it wasn't even very clear that that was a. I mean, it was clear that they were living in like a squat, right? And but it wasn't clear like how that emerged as being like a, a living place slash re- like recording place slash you know I don't know cultural center in this isolated area of Detroit you know? the, the Trinka book that I read the biography it was in Detroit right wasn't it in it Detroit? was in Detroit yeah, yeah okay. um like like in the inner city I thought yeah. um there was so much on that and how that shaped the personality and shaped the music and I feel like that was such a, a rich, you know, well, and, mm-hmm. and they didn't do anything with that. So that was a little disappointing. I might not have even noticed if I didn't read that book, but but I think there's a lot more there. I would there's like probably to... good footage of that, mm-hmm. too, that you can, you know, even stills that you can show of those times. I've seen some of them, mm-hmm. you know. I would have liked, and this is just, you know, the music nerd in me, I would have liked a little more footage of, of them playing, like, in the studio. Like, I mean, we've got hours and hours of f- footage of, like, a Funhouse, right? All these sessions of Funhouse. Yeah. Like, that particular album, I would have loved to have just seen footage of them playing in the studio, a little bit more on the music itself. I think, granted, I mean, yeah. it's two hours they're already filling out, but maybe less animation and, right. and, and a little more on the music itself. That, that's my next note, right? That's yeah. the other thing. I wanted, I, I like to hear about the songs and the songwriting. I mean, obviously that's what we waste our lives discussing on this stupid podcast, you know, but I, I like I like their point of view on it. I want to match up. I want to see if like my read of Search and Destroy is similar to theirs, you know? I mean, there was no discussion of any individual songs on the first yeah. album. Right, except for Just asthma the, uh, attack. Right, yeah, <laughs> there was a yes. lot on asthma yes. attack. That was that was odd. Right, <laughs> and, choice to go and I was like, that. oh, that's that's really cool. That was one of my favorite parts. I'm like, yeah. yeah, like I remember I was just talking about asthma attack, and like I had some ideas on it, like, but I want to hear it on 1969 yeah. or you know, Death Trip or something like that. You mean like like they don't have opinions of these songs or like what went into them? Like that's that's really what I want to see. I feel but like he's going because, for the music is just what it is in the scene is all about the live experience yeah. thing and for you know songwriting and the people songwriting right? I mean, like this the, is punk man we, we you know whatever but that that's what I'm saying before that's I mean it's not made for a guy that wants to go that deep it's made for somebody that has a casual understanding of the Stooges 
right, and wants to just get a, a more general overview. You know, I want a doc that's going to go as deep as our discussions go. But that does sell things short for the students, too, because it's like it's more about, you know, cutting his chest, Iggy cutting up his chest or peanut butter on him, and like, you know, talk about some songs, right? No, right. I, I want to go deeper than that, because that's not that compelling to me. I don't mm -hmm. really care that he cut his chest up. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad that they didn't dwell on that either, yeah, right? It yeah, wasn't like this, yeah. well, you know, the ex tell me about the peanut butter and the, the chest cutting. Like, they showed footage of it, but it wasn't like they yeah, dwelled not, even it, on right, that. I totally agree. Totally so. It was not harped on, yeah. Um, which could have very easily been the whole story, mm -hmm. you know? You could have opened up this whole show with bloody, peanut-laden, Iggy, you know? I totally get that. All right. I got to list the good things that I liked. Hey, what's up? Um... I liked I like the montages of the records. Yeah. Mm. I think that was a really cool like like shot, right? So it happens twice, right? We hear it and I think they're connected ideas. We Iggy works in a record store and he's exposed to all this music and we see it all, right? But only some of those things are being discussed. That gives me such a, like a rich understanding of his world at that time, of his influences. It makes me, you know, Think about each one of those records as applied to the stuff on the first album. Like, that is a great visual conceit to create a better understanding of the songs, who they are, you know, the history. Beautiful. Yeah. I love that. And then we get a companion montage that is all the influences, all the punk influences the legacy. later. Yeah. Right, the legacy. Beautiful. Side, the side. Yeah. Right? Look, I mean, you can see the kind of the kind of Jarmish wheels turning here in terms of, of you know, how these things have, have causation and, mm -hmm. and how influence works. Love that. Yeah, that's right? the continuum that Paul was talking about earlier. You right. actually see it done in a nice visual way, yes. a visual metaphor for it. With and that's what covers. I mean. That's what I, like, I feel like there's so much more potential in an idea like that. Like, not exactly that idea, but, you know, every time you come to... Uh, a fork in the road where you have a cheesy choice and something innovative, spend a little time, you know? Jarmish can do it. I feel he can. Um, all right, a couple stories I loved. I love the Mo Howard story. <laughs> you think that's true? He called I don't care. He said, I don't give a fuck if you use the name. I don't care. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how did they get Mo Howard's number? Well, that, that, was, <laughs> that was the thing. I, I, the could, phone I couldn't get past. It's like, how did these dirtbags <laughs> call Mo Howard? Like, <laughs> but I didn't care because I love the story, right? Because um, that's a deep cut. It's something I never read before. It's Ron um, that calls, right? The, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Iggy yeah. gives uh, Ron's, yeah, like, right. that's how you say, like, that was Ron's uh, greatest uh, con contribution to the studio. I do love that. We're the psychedelic stooges, but we want to drop the psychedelic. Can we just be the stooges? <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Just don't call yourself the three stooges. That's brilliant. Yeah. I don't even care if it's true. Yeah. Love that. Um, but I... You know, even the three Stooges footage over that, I think, worked. Yeah. Well, okay, so the, the, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. So that's that's the same, that's <laughs> yeah, the same kind of goofy you know, footage that they're showing. Or no, you would say that's the same footage that was illustrative of, like, the watching the Howdy Doody exactly. and things like that. Look, I don't care. Go goofy, for me, isn't a breaking, like, doesn't isn't a deal-breaker for me. It's purposefulness, mm -hmm. right? I wanted to see... The Stooges in that moment because a I wanted a visual of of, of right. But when you're describing when you're describing the the dangerous appeal of the the sexy Ashton brothers, you know, mm -hmm. then you could show like how that '50s cool that they were naturally cultivating feels equivalent. You know? Yeah, 
Oh, but it, well, maybe. <laughs> it's but just that Joe does not like that one, but he likes no, the other no, no, one. No, 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 because that, that is a, a movie I don't have a reference to that has its own kind of posturing for its own aesthetic. You know, what Iggy's talking about in that moment is how he loved the Stooges and how these guys were thinking about the Stooges. And Jarman shows me a vision of what they saw at that time. And I love the psychedelic lines over it, too, because <laughs> now it's mixing sensibilities yeah. and I'm getting into Iggy's mind in a sense. I never got into Iggy's mind when I saw those those toughs on the motorcycles, you know, mugging to the camera. That's somebody else's vision of the 50s. I don't even think it's Jarmish's vision. Or if it is, it's a lazy representation of that. There you All go. Right. I, I think we can let that one go. Purposeful. That's what you need. Um, I like very much... I like how Joe declares that he's right. Well, like, I guess I know, because we're sitting here passing. Like, I so much about that. I was like, <laughs> All right. Give him, give him the win on yeah, it, all right? Let him have it. Well, you can You're argue right. back. Point. It's not Joe. worth it. It doesn't well, matter. It's like, um, by the way, you challenged me. You, you, said, you said I was trying to have my cake and eat it, too. No, no that, was that was me. And I, I concede. You win. <laughs> okay. I, all, I love Iggy's story of um, the apotheosis of the Astro Brothers, right? Where he says... I mean, it's a little self-aggrandizing, maybe. You know, the, he said, like, he got out and started dancing. He said, and then they rose, and yeah. they became a thing. And that that was actually carried on a couple other times, where it's, right, where he's talking about when they had to lay down their instrumental, like, he had to dance for them and mm-hmm. all of that. In the studio. Right. And again, might be true, might not be, but I, that's good mythology, right? I that's, there, was, there were nuggets that kind of like great that. Hobby, actually, that stuff yeah, where I, he's kind of... Really? Yeah, where he says they're primal man, and uh, you know, he, I think he is so revisionist. <laughs> no, of course. Later he is. on, looking back at this stuff, I don't think he had a thought like that in his head at the time. Maybe not, but if it's coming from him, I'm interested in it because even if I don't believe it, it tells me something about him. It tells know? me that he read his own press for like no, thirty years. That was the argument we were making when we were talking about the weirdness. Right. The weird. The weirdness is an album that demonstrates a man that is taken with his own image, you know? Um, and legacy. And or, legacy. Or described legacy that he's bought right. into. I think that's, uh, that, that's right. But I was glad that there wasn't so much of that. Like, it, I, think, I think that was reined in or was just not, you know, he was not, I don't know, I don't feel like he, he dwelled on no. that kind no, of stuff. No, he didn't. He didn't. That, that was all tastefully done. All right, I got two more things I like. I liked... Um, well, I don't know if I liked it, but I felt the uh, Ron Ashen uh, Nazi stuff discussion was interesting, right? I mean, again, you know, I don't think that that 18-year-old was thinking about it as a bonding moment. He probably just put that stuff on because he thought it was dangerous and cool looking. But the man that's looking back on it and reflecting and trying to figure out what those impulses were in himself, even if they're not true, I thought was compelling cinema. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Those were the moments I thought worked so well where you got into the psychology of the person. And in those moments, you know, that moment in particular, the camera's on that guy, you know, watching him talk it through. That's, that's good filmmaking there, you know? Last one, I loved Iggy Revenge Story, right? At the very end when he's talking about, well, there was a little t- animation kind of uh, bring back in it, but um, when he's talking about the the guys he grew up with and how they made fun of his oh, yeah. house and they were shaking it and all that. And he said, I'm going to bury them one day. I'm going to outlive them and all that. And again, the camera went on him and you saw his face. So compelling. Such an honest, interesting portrait of the man in that moment. 
You know? Once again, if you have compelling subjects, sometimes right. the documentary can you know, work in spite you know, of, of the 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 director behind it. You right? basically I just have to stay out of the way. All you have to do is just no, you know, let no your, harm. Yeah, you know that's and what Earl Morris knows. Right, and I yeah. think uh, I think and once again, I think this is why this works so much better than Year of the Horse. I mean, yes. those subjects were just not. They were difficult to work with. They just Absolutely. weren't. They clearly weren't. They were mugging when they <laughs> should have been more compelling. Yeah. Aesthetically, when I think of documentaries, right, I put them on a continuum of of Gates of Heaven, which is so, you know, fly in the wall. Um, you know, the, the the voice of the director is nowhere to be found, you know, as, as verite as you can possibly get. On the other end of that is Michael Moore, right, at his gaudiest, you know, mm-hmm. Bowling for Columbine or something like that. And I'm not trying to disparage Michael Moore. I think he has his place in this world, and some of those docs work, some don't. But his presence is inseparable from the, right. the documentary experience. I mean, he's, he's a character he's in the documentary. Yeah, yes. And a caricature is, intrig- you, know, intrig- in, in, uh, you know, unfortunately. But um, I, all I'm kind of arguing is that Jarmusch is a little bit too much on the Moore side, where I think he would, he's at his best when he's more... When, when he treats the subject matter with more respect, more reverence, and believes in it as its own representation. Yeah. That's yeah. all I'm arguing. Yeah. I don't know that that's a fair continuum, though, to put him in that. Because it's not, I mean, it, that gives the impression that he's mugging in front of the camera, too, and he's talking about his own experience with the Stooges. You're just talking about some of the techniques that are not the most um, outrageous about, of what Michael Moore does. You're talking about the animation and things like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. It, it's those impulses that... Mm-hmm. that don't worry. Moore does that too. Though Moore does a lot of B-roll footage to make. Oh, sure. No, of, I understand. I'm just saying. Points. When I think of like the the kind of the the things that usually, um, which work so well with Roger and me, but have just gotten right. You know, just a little bit. You know, I don't know too much for me. Glib. To, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't. I don't think what Jarmish is doing here. I think you know gets to glibness, mm-hmm. but it, it's. I don't know. It's not. Um, it doesn't feel authentic, you know? Mm. And, uh, I mean, if we're talking about the Stooges, I think you need authenticity, right? We're, we're, we're kind That's of... That's what they're all about, yeah. Yeah, at, at core, I need to believe that they really mean it, you know? That's kind of the... But that comes even through... Even if it's not the case. And we've talked about interviews. the posturing yeah. of, of raw power and things like that, but... Get, consider the alternative, though. I mean, do you want, like, a po-faced, self-righteous, uh, self-righteous, you know, like... We were authentic. We were the real thing, and you know, no. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, it's you know, I, I think I don't know. I, I guess I'm not. I'm not as uh, ill disposed to some of the you know goofier sides of this. But let the tension of that come out from them themselves. Well, I thought it did, though. It, it yeah. does at its best. Um, I think it gets clouded over by Jarmish's voice mm-hmm. in the filmmaking. Yeah. All too a, a little too much. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Again, it's not a terrible doc. It's just not great. Yeah. I want I want Jarvis to make a great documentary. One thing that uh, was missing. I mean, I think it was missing. It's the thing that I've always found the most curious aspect of the music of the Stooges, which is the switch from what I think is one of the greatest guitar players, or oh, sound yeah. wise, Ron mm-hmm. Ashton, to. You know, in this case, it is a demotion to bass because you cannot Absolutely. hear the bass, the bass at all on exist. the recording <laughs> of Raw Power. And I, I love how Williamson says, oh, but you should have heard him. Like, he, he was extraordinary. It's just there's no bass on Raw Power. Like, dude, <laughs> he's he the probably guy had a big part of, like, that. the recording of that. I have no doubt that yeah. he... Uh, 
Oh, yeah. orchestrated so, all but of that. There's no maybe that was studiously avoided, but I, I just would have liked a little bit. Well, more it was a real source. You know, yeah, I think Ron Essen talked about that in interviews for forever. Yeah, oh, yeah. so maybe it was just you know, done to death, but because I haven't, I've never read anything. And he blamed by him. Uh, Williamson for basically manipulating him out of the band and oh, then down to base, and you know. But I, I love I love the tension in that discussion, right? You have Williamson that wants to be reverent towards magnanimous, exactly, and, yeah. right? I, I that those are great moments, you know, where that can all play out. Now, look, is a casual Stooges fan going to pick up on those nuances? No, and that's kind of I feel like that's why this film is somewhat a compromise, mm-hmm. you know. And it's probably a good compromise if we're talking about... There are so many stories audience. that you could really have gotten into. Yeah. It's just an overview, really. You know? Yeah. So, all right. Anything else you liked or hated? <laughs> it's the middle of the road. It's a, it's it's a good, good, yes. good documentary. I like yeah. the band. And uh, If you're looking for a convenient one-stop shopping for good footage of the Stooges, you know, in their heyday, I mean, you know, I think it's a pretty good place to go. Yeah. It was fine. Yeah. All right. So next time, Patterson. This has got to be pretty record short. No, no, no. Length, We're good. No? Yeah. All right. Yeah. No filler? No, man. Right. Are, you, are you revealing that we do have a quota to, to We don't have a quota. <laughs> there is no quota. One of the rules of Catalogs and Noise is when the discussion's over, it's over. That's it, man. That's it. Sometimes it's three hours. Sometimes it's 45 minutes. The shortest, I think, has been 40 minutes. And we are, I'm looking at 52 right now. Okay, 52 is good. I That's just feel like saying. I didn't bring a whole lot to the table. You, but, uh, you, you, it's open for you. All right, man. Okay. Now I'm done. Very much behind the curtains right now. Um, all right, so next time we're going to be talking about Patterson. We might even uh, have some interesting uh, insights into the city itself. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. See ya. See you then. Sixty-nine.